Ryan will be going over the Lord's Prayer today. I'm going to read that as Ryan comes up. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're in a series of messages that we're calling Access, and we are going through a very familiar uh, passage of Scripture uh, to many of us in here. It's called the Lord's Prayer, and we've just been walking through it each uh, petition at a time. And today we're looking at the petition that says, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, last year, one of our kids wanted this specific item uh, that he had found on Amazon. He had he'd saved up his money uh, through his responsibilities around the house and birthday monies and such. And he saved it up and he'd given it to us and, and uh, really wanted us to buy it on Amazon because we had this Amazon Prime account. If you're unfamiliar with what that is, it means that it can get to you really quick. And that was a value to my son. And so uh, we, we made the purchase. He transferred the money to us uh, from his piggy bank to us. And uh, well, inevitably, the two-day shipping on Amazon Prime was going to be delayed. Anybody ever had that happen? I'm guessing not. And so when we informed our five-year-old son that the shipping was going to be delayed, uh, as you can imagine, he wasn't happy with this information. And so, uh, you know, he, he, said, he said, Dad, just call the package man and tell him to bring my toy to me. I know he has it in his truck. I saw him drive by. So he just thought that the package man was just holding out on him. He just knew that Caden bought it and he wasn't going to give it to him. And, uh, you know, how many times do we treat God like our cosmic package man? Our divine Amazon Prime, our majestic Uber Eats, where we want God to operate on a dime. We want Him to give us what we want when we want it. And that's how we come into this prayer as Americans. Is we, we, we think that way. We, we pray that way. All of us are guilty of it. And what I am... <clears throat> becoming convinced of, especially as I delve into the Lord's Prayer this week, is that um, God is very interested in us praying for physical things. He made us physical creatures. He gave us dominion over the world, as Genesis tells us, to use it, to steward it for His glory and for our good. When we pray for provision, that's not the problem. The problem is that we get there too early when we pray. Because what happens in the Lord's Prayer is that it says this, our Father who is in heaven. That's kind of the preamble of the prayer. Then he goes on to tell us three petitions that will help center our hearts before our Father in heaven. He says, uh, holy is your name. Your name's different. You're a different God than we are. Your kingdom come. You have a different kind of kingdom than the world around us operates in. And we need to remember that when we approach, approach you. Your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we're, we're praying, we're praying for God's will to be done on 
earth as it is in heaven. We're pr- literally praying heaven down to earth when we pray. And then we get to this petition that says, give us this day our daily bread. He hasn't forgotten about us. He hasn't forgotten about us at all. He calls us to pray about these things. But the problem is we get there too quickly. So the big idea of where I want us to go today is this. It's this. The purpose of prayer for provision is to reveal and cultivate dependency. It's kind of a mouthful. But when we pray for provision, God is taking us somewhere. We're not just treating him like a cosmic vending machine. He's actually doing something in us. He's actually using the situations that we need to change to change us. He's using what we look at, the situations in our life that we think, this has to change. And as we pray and we long for it, he's changing us. We need to grow in our awareness of dependency. Some of us do. We need to grow in this awareness. Some of us need to cultivate dependency maybe for the first time. Maybe we've never trusted in anything other than ourselves. God, we're going to address both of those today as we look at this idea of daily bread. But you and I know that, especially around this time of the year, it's so easy to get off the rails when it comes to provision. And Jesus is pretty clear what he says here. You know, now I think about some of the ways that, that I'm tempted to get off the rails when it comes to procuring provision for my life, things that I think I need to live and, and, uh, and operate under. And that's, what, that's what, how we'll define bread today. When we say, give us this day our daily bread, bread isn't just physical bread. It's everything that you need for life and godliness on this earth. That's what bread is. That's what Jesus is pressing us into. And I, I'm, I think about the ways that I'm tempted to get off the rails when it comes to provision. When I don't look at it through the lens of my Father in heaven, who's building a kingdom, and whose will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm tempted to get off the rail by going in reckless debt, by being like a, a mad couponer who, who, who kind of hoards things. And, you know, it's, it's the reason why sometimes we get like 17 boxes of cereal in our pantry. You know what I'm talking about? Like it was on sale. I just filled it up. The peanut butter, and it was on sale. Buy one, get one. Look at it. I got it all right here. It's the reason why we do that because we are so terrified of daily bread. We're so terrified of daily bread. So let, let, me, let me talk about these two pathways that we're going to look at today as we, as, we, as we look at this reality that when we pray and when we approach God, He's taking us somewhere. There's kind of two pathways that I see Him taking us in. It's this one. It's, he starts with the physical and He takes us to the spiritual. So physical dependence is meant to lead us to spiritual dependence. The other is daily dependence is meant to lead us to eternal dependence. So as we see God be faithful in the physical, we can trust Him in the spiritual. As we see God be faithful in the daily, we can trust Him with the eternal. You know, uh, as a, as a high school uh, young man, I like to listen to hip-hop music. And one of my favorite songs was by this guy named The Notorious B.I.G. Anyway, some of you got, him on your, you got him on your iPad. Don't be laughing. You listen to him too. It's good music. He says this. He says this in one of his lines. So true. Such a, such a true reality here. He says this. I don't know what they want from me. It's like the more money we come across, the more problems 
we see. You see, the notorious B.I.G. knew something about the human heart that every single one of us wrestle with. We want to accumulate more and more and more and more because we hate daily bread. We hate the idea of daily bread. But the more we accumulate, the more it reveals the problems that we have. He got this. If that's not good enough for you, Cyprian, the early church father who lived from 200 to 258 A.D., said this, their property held them in chains, which shackled their courage and choked their faith and hampered their judgment and throttled their souls. This isn't, this isn't even talking about America, okay? So this is a human problem, not just an American problem. He says they think of themselves as owners, whereas it is they rather who are owned. Enslaved as they are to their own property, they are not their masters of their money, but it's slaves. See, the enemy wants us to live in dependence, in independence of God. He wants us to, to depend on other things other than God. And the culture around us is aimed at that whole reality. And we wrestle through it every single day. So my goal today is not to condemn you for buying Christmas presents for your kids or your relatives or whatever. That's not, that's not what I'm going after. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to go after your heart this morning and my heart this morning. This isn't about money predominantly. This sermon is about dependence. And money just happens to reveal where our dependence is a lot of times. So let's look at this first reality here, day, the daily dependence points us to eternal dependence. If you've got a Bible, I want you to open up to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings 17, I'm going to walk through this a little bit. You know, if there's any indicator <laughs> that we live among a people that are vehemently opposed to daily bread, it's going to the grocery store whenever there's a snowstorm coming. Am I right? You go to the grocery store, you're sitting in line next to someone, they've got 27 loaves of bread in their cart, right? Because we hate this idea of daily bread, of having to depend on God. So we go and we, we store up and we get all that we can. And, and by the way, why do we get, just get bread and milk? I just don't understand. Why, why not other things? You know, bread and milk? I mean, anyway, I digress. 1 Kings 17, this idea of daily bread, I, wanna, I want us to look at the story of Elijah. And... Um, I'll read it and I'll pause a couple times as we go through this. Elijah was a prophet of God. 1 Kings 17, starting in verse 1, says this. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishb in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years, except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward. And hide yourself by the brook in Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up. Because there was no rain in the land. Elijah, this prophet of God, is called 
to represent God's people. He's preparing Elijah to represent God's people, to be a prophet on their behalf, on God's behalf. And he does this by sending him to sit by a brook day in, day night, and have a bird bring food to him. This is a real story. And for him to drink the water that's coming through the brook in the middle of the desert. This is what he's calling him to do. Now, why would he call him to do that? It's because God is cultivating something inside of Elijah that will be necessary for the journey that he has ahead of him. Daily bread. He wants to show him what it means to trust in God. But it says, I think it's at the end of verse 6 here, but eventually the brook dried up. Now if I just put this on you for a second. Some of you are at this place in life right now. The brook has dried up. And physically you're looking at your life and you're thinking, God, this doesn't make any sense. What are you doing? The brook's dry. I don't know where, some of you, I don't know where this week's groceries are going to come from. Or this month's rent. Or if I can ever get anything for my kids. The brook dries up physically. Spiritually, for some of us, the brook has dried up. We're not as near to God as we remember being this time last year. We don't feel like He's close to us. It seems like He's just taking away from us over and over and over again. So what do you do when the brook dries up? Let's keep reading. I think it's verse 7 here. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise and go to Zarephath. So what does he do? He seeks the Lord, the word of the Lord. He speaks to him and he tells him to move on. He says, Go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. I want to move you along, Elijah. Behold, I have commanded a widow to feed you there. <clears throat> Let's keep reading. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and went. When he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread. Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And he said, As the Lord your God lives, I have baked nothing, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. So what's going on in this, this woman's life? She's a widow. She has no provision. She has literally a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil in a jar. And, and her plan at this moment is to go in to make the bread. She's gathering sticks to make a fire to be able to bake the bread so that she and her son can eat. They can have one last meal together, one last supper together, so they can eat it, and then they can die in peace, because there's nothing left. And she's a widow, and she doesn't have any provision. That is, her, that is how she sees the next few days and weeks playing out. And what's Elijah do? He comes in, he says, hey, before you go bake that bread for you and your son, I'm just going to take a little, bit of, a little morsel of that bread. Before you give some for yourself, you're going to give that to me. And she's got to be thinking, you are, Elijah, you are crazy. This is, and you're going to take this away? What goes on after this is, is, is this. Um, and Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the land. 
And she went and did as Elijah said, and, and she and her household ate for many days. Get this, the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the, the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. Now if we go on and read in James, the question is, how long did that jar of oil and that flour last for this, this family here, this, this, this widow and her son, and then now Elijah, how long did that go on? Well, J James chapter 5, 17 tells us that that went on, guys get this, for three and a half years. So here's how it would work out. Every morning, I'm picturing this, they would wake up, they would go to get some bread because they were hungry, they would, they would look at the jar of flour, and every day when they would, they would pick the lid of the jar up, there'd be just enough in there. And every day they'd go to the, 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 the jar of oil and they would it'd be just enough to make enough bread for the day. And every single day for three and a half years, Elijah, uh, the widow in Zarephath and her son, would go and do this same thing every single day. And why? Why would God choose to provide in that way? He is cultivating a dependence upon the Lord because God has a tremendous task for Elijah at hand. You see, in 1 Kings 19, Elijah comes up against the prophets of Baal. And the prophets of Baal are, uh, you know, they're opposed to God. And so they, they kind of do this little experiment here where Elijah says, look, if I'm going to build a fire, you build a fire, let's see the first one who lights the sacrifice. And I don't have time to go all into it, but basically Elijah prays and he pours water on it several times. And God still lights it and consumes the sacrifice. And the prophets of Baal are slayed after that. The enemy is extinguished in the land. You see, here's the deal. You don't get a 1 King 19 faith and trust without a, a 1 King 17 day-by-day -day trust in God's provision. It just doesn't happen. And so God is cultivating a dependence and a confidence in himself, through the daily provision. And so sometimes, church, whenever we, we hate this idea of daily bread, sometimes, church, when we, when we hate this and we, and we try to avoid it with everything in us, we are actually cutting out a dependence that will be very valuable to us in our life. And I would say this, even, even going to say this, as Americans, we even have to be intentional about providing, about asking God to provide for us day by day. And that's a spiritual provision, obviously, but it's also a physical provision. And I think that's one of the things that generosity does in our lives. When we're generous to our neighbors and to those in need and to even our local church and things like that, we are, we are choosing to say, God, I want you to provide for me day by day because what you're going to produce in my life is going to be of eternal value. So that's the first thing that we see God doing is moving us from daily to eternal. So as we learn to trust in him day by day, like Elijah had to learn to trust by him, fed by the raven, fed by the widow, crazy stories. He learns this eternal dependence, and God uses him tremendously in the midst of that. The second journey that God takes us on in prayer for provision as we pray for daily bread is he takes us from the physical to the spiritual. So he uses the physical needs that we have and he, and he shows us and he reveals to us the spiritual needs that we have. So I want to give us a brief survey of bread in the Bible. This isn't going to be exhaustive, it's just going to be brief. But here's what I've learned about bread this week is that the confusion and struggle of provision is a result of the curse. So 
Where provision comes from and how we acquire it has been confused because of sin entering the world. You see, many people in the world think that, that because of their work ethic and because of uh, the school that they went to and the uh, employer's name that's on their paycheck, that they are more secure than other people. Now, I'm not saying that human responsibility is not a part of provision. God works that in us. But we know that every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, who doesn't change or vary. Every gift that you have in life is from your Father in heaven. So here's what we learn from Genesis 3. Genesis 3, 18 and 19, if you have a Bible, you can flip there. I'm going to be going through these pretty quickly, though. Um, it says this, this is, this is after sin enters the world. And how does sin enter the world again? The enemy comes to Adam and Eve, and he says, did God actually say that you couldn't eat of that tree? And so they begin to doubt as the enemy begins to accuse, and they try to acquire provision outside of God's bounds. That's how sin enters the world. It's this confusion of provision. So there are consequences of sin entering the world. This one is, is one of the consequences that he gives to Adam. Genesis 3, 18 and 19. He says, Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. He's talking about the land. And you shall eat the plants of the field. And then get this. I never read this before this week or didn't remember reading it. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and dust you shall return. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. It is going to be a struggle for you to eat bread, to get everything that you need for life. It's going to be a struggle. There's even going to be people that actually don't have enough. And we see that all over the world. And sometimes we see that even in our own context here. That's a result of the fall. But here's the good news. God in His grace has been adamantly about providing bread for His people throughout the whole Bible. Physical bread and spiritual bread, all that they need for life. Listen to Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. And this is Abram comes up after he has conquered some enemies. God's made this promise to Abram that that he'll be he'll be he'll be his name will be great, and that out of his family, every family on the earth will be named, and that God will ultimately redeem the world through the family that will come through Abraham. I don't know how much of this Abraham knows, but this is all on Abraham. God makes this promise through him. It says this, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine to Abraham when he met him. He was priest of the God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham, Abram, by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So we see Melchizedek coming out and representing really King Jesus. He's this kind of mysterious figure that we see who doesn't have a beginning or an end. And he functions as a priest, just like Jesus will function as a priest in Hebrews 10, we see the great high priest. And he comes out offering bread and wine. He offers him basically the first communion service here. He's reminding him of where bread will come from, where provision will come from. And we celebrate this every week. Where does provision come from? Where does life come from? It comes from Jesus. But the thing that you notice is that it's a gift. Melchizedek comes out offering it to him. 
We could go on. We don't have time to look at Exodus 16, but Exodus 16 is where the Israelites have been delivered uh, out of the hand of the Pharaoh by God Almighty. They've been delivered from slavery. They are now wandering about in the wilderness for 40 years. And they grumble and complain because they don't know that they're going to have anything to eat. And what does God do for them? He provides manna by day, this bread-like substance that comes out and covers the ground, and they would scrape it up and eat it day by day. And every time that they would try to get a little more manna than they needed, that person would have just enough. And if someone gathered a little too little, they would still have just enough. And if they tried to keep it for multiple days, that you know, they had a little jar and they were just packing the manna in, just making sure they had enough, you know, filling the pantry with 17 boxes of cereal. You know what would happen? It would be sour and they couldn't eat it. It would smell, it would rot. But on the, on the, on the, for the Sabbath, in preparation for the Sabbath, they could gather a little more and it would keep because they sought to honor the Sabbath and to not work for bread on the Sabbath. It was this beautiful thing that God began to do and all the while he was showing them that he would provide. That Even though it was going to be a struggle for them to participate in earning bread and keeping bread and providing for themselves that God was going to be the one behind it the whole time, ultimately providing, as his people trusted in him. And we could go on and on and on and look at example after example about this. Ultimately, I want to switch and I want to spend the rest of our time looking at John 6 now. And this is, this is another passage about bread. So if you have a Bible, you're going to want to turn to, to, to John 6 because we're going to spend the rest of our time there this morning. So it's, it's Passover. And it's a, it's a celebration of deliverance that we just talked about, of God delivering his hand out of the Pharaoh, delivering his people out of the Pharaoh's hand. And they would celebrate this Passover feast where they would eat unleavened bread and they would, they would, they would drink wine. They would, they would celebrate the Passover feast. There would be a lamb. They would, it, it, was all, it was all symbolic about what God had done for them, how he had provided ultimate provision for them. And so they would eat unleavened bread because they had to get out of Egypt in a hurry and the bread didn't have time to, to fully be prepared like it normally would. And so, so it's Passover and this crowd comes and they, they start following Jesus. And the scriptures say there were 5,000 men. So what that would tell us is there were probably about 20,000 total people that were following Jesus. They were, they were following him because he was doing signs and he was doing miraculous things. And, you know, the, he had healed this, this person that had been uh, an invalid for 38 years by the pool of Siloam, and then this big crowd begins to follow him, and then all of a sudden they're following him, and he's teaching, and uh, and and they become hungry, and so Jesus asks his disciples in John chapter six verse five, he says this, "Where are we to buy bread so that the people may eat?" You have two responses after this. You have Philip, who's one of Jesus's disciples, and he says, uh, he he, he kind of looks to himself and he says, "Jesus." Like, if I were to work for eight months, these people would still only have a snack. There's no way we could feed all these people. We don't have the goods. And Philip is a representative of how we typically look at our lives when we think about our need. We look within ourselves and we think, there's no way I can do this. There's no way that I can save enough money for retirement. There's no way that I can send my kids to college. There's no way that I can go on a a vacation, enjoy our family together. There's no way that I can pay rent next month. There's no way I'll ever be able to buy a house. 
And we look at God like that because we look to ourselves first. It's the whole issue of the Lord's Prayer is that praying for provision is not a problem. It's when we pray for provision too quickly that it becomes a problem for us. And then you have Andrew who responds in a different fashion. He says, hey, Jesus, um, I, I don't know, but there's this boy. He, he kind of bought a, he brought a lunch. So we got a little something to start with. Five loaves, a couple of fish. What do you think, Jesus? And he approaches him with this attitude of just, why not us? Why not me? Why wouldn't God want to display his glory in our midst today? And so what does Jesus do? He tells his disciples they pray for it. He tells his disciples to disperse the, the bread and the fish. And they have so much food left over after they feed 20-some thousand people that they're gathering up baskets of the leftovers. Friends, when, when Jesus provides for us, he provides lavishly and in abundance. It's just what he does. So we ask for daily bread and he pours it on us. This isn't some cheap prosperity gospel I'm telling you about right now. This isn't like, hey, if you pray or if you give, then God fills up your bank. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the deeper need that you have inside of you. The, the need that I have inside of me to be loved by a father and so secure that no one or no thing can ever take that security and love and provision away from me. No matter how, no matter how much the enemy shakes us and he tries to tear us down, no one can take it away. This is the kind of confidence that we can have in Jesus. So he goes on to say this. So, so this crowd, they, they see that Jesus uh, has provided. It's like a genie in a bottle, right? I mean, you look, look what he's done. I mean, look at this guy. He's like a magic trick. And so they begin to try to forcefully take him and make him the king. This is the kind of king we want. Think about how rich he'll make us, how, how much security we'll have. And they're thinking physical, 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 physical. And Jesus and, and them are operating on two different planes. And so they chase him to the other side of the sea, the Sea of Galilee. And it's a, pretty, it's a pretty big sea. I mean, you can barely see across the other side. They chase him across. It took them some time to get over there. And John 6.25 says this, when they, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. <laughs> Jesus says, look, you came over here not because you really want me. You don't want, the, you don't want the giver, you want the gift. You came over here just because you ate your fill of loaves, and you thought, man, that tastes good. What would it be like to experience that every day? It's kind of a mic drop moment where Jesus says, listen, here's, here's what you're really after. He, he reveals their hearts. How many times do we follow God and, and pray to God because we want to eat our fill of loaves instead of being sustained by Jesus? Listen, this is, this is geared at me just as much as it is anybody in this room. It's just a question to ask. How many times do we follow him and we're really just chasing a loaf of bread? Just trying to be breadwinners instead of seeking Jesus as the ultimate breadwinner for us. Are we coming back to Jesus this morning to get our fill of loaves or to be full of Jesus? 
It's the question that it's a confrontational question that he asks us. And he, he presses it in deeper as we continue in this. He says in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Like if you really want bread, like in the truest spiritual sense, provision, everything you need for life, you want me. Like that loaf is just an example, it's just an outworking of what it looks like to receive my provision. It says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So what, he's, what he indicates in there is that there is within each of us a perpetual hunger and a thirst for something outside of ourselves. Something more. And because of the fall, you and I will turn over every rock and look behind every corner, look in every corner, to try to find what will fill us. And he's saying you can keep looking and looking and looking to this career, to this spouse, to this house, to this job, whatever, this experience, this trip, and you'll come back home and you'll realize that you were just as empty as you were when you left. So Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me doesn't experience this anymore. And, and they go on to say, Jesus, this is a hard saying because he says, listen, if you want to be full, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. It's kind of a prophetic saying where he's telling them, like, listen, what, I know what you're asking for, but what you need is me. John 6, uh, 60 through 65, I don't think this will be on the screen, but many of his disciples heard it and they said, Jesus, this is a hard saying. This isn't even... The crowd, this is his disciples, the 12 that are with him or so. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. You know what we realize when Jesus says this? Is that those times that we hear the gospel and Jesus says, hey, you're asking for this, but I know you really need this. And they kind of hurt us a little bit. They're like, Jesus, that hurt, man. Like, why'd you do that to me? He kind of pokes those, those spots of unbelief in us. That's the kindest thing that he can ever do to us because the gospel, friends, is very offensive. And so many times we can try to make the gospel of Jesus, that the, the reality that, that in Jesus and Jesus alone, can we have life? Can we have abundance? Can we have confidence? Can we have security? We try to make that more palatable and the gospel loses its zeal. It loses its power when we do that. So if the gospel offends you, you're probably in a pretty good place. You're probably in a pretty good place if you're in here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus because that means, that means your Father in heaven is after you. And he is revealing himself to you. You're probably in a pretty good place today if, if the gospel is offensive to you and you are a follower of Jesus because that means he's refining you. He's making you more like his son, Jesus. It's what he does to his children. Jesus kind of closes his, this, this, this statement about the bread of life, or John does in writing about this. He says, after this, many disciples turned back and they no longer walked with him. So Jesus turns and he says to the 12, John, this is uh, 6, uh, 66 through 69. Jesus turns and he looks at the 12 and he says, what, do you guys want to leave too? There's the door. I, I don't think he was doing that in a brash way. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to be 
mean to them. He was just saying, like, listen, this is a hard life to follow me because I'm changing you into something that you can never be on your own through faith in me. I'm making you eternal. I'm giving you an eternal life. And I'm giving you a daily provision that shows how much I love you. But you've got to trust me. And this is going to be a really hard road ahead. And so he says, do you want to go away as well? Do you want to go? And Simon Peter, one of his shining moments in the Gospels, he looks up and he says, full of faith, the same thing I would encourage us to hopefully say by faith this morning, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else are we going to go, Jesus? We've chased down everything else. We, we see that it's all empty. Where else are we going to go? You alone can secure us for eternity. That's the question for us this morning. Do you want to go away as well? Are you, are you a follower of Jesus that follows Him to a certain point and then you say, I, I can't go any further? Or will you be willing to walk with Jesus through the times when it doesn't make sense, when the jar is empty and you don't know how you're going to eat, when you've been praying to be able to get married for 10 years and you're still single and you're thinking, God, are you ever going to send me a spouse? When you feel lonely, when, when your bill of health isn't what it's supposed to be, for a 40-year-old. You shouldn't be having to deal with these things physically. Where else are you going to go? Will you keep following? Will you press into Jesus because knowing that He alone has the words of eternal life? Now, Jesus was tempted in the same way about bread, wasn't He? In Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus is tempted by the enemy when He's in the wilderness. And the enemy says to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Church, can we pray that together now this morning? Can we pray that as the enemy comes to us and says, hey, multiply this. Make yourself better. Pick yourself up by the bootstraps. When we look at our Father in heaven and say, we can't. Where else are we going to go, God? You have to provide for us. Let's pray that prayer this morning. So if you, if you wouldn't mind uh, just bowing as we pray through Jesus' response to the enemy when he confronts him in the wilderness. I'll read it again for us and let that center our prayer time here. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So church, let's pray now. Let's, let's, let's think about those times whenever we feel like there is scarcity in our lives. Whenever we, we feel like that God is not providing for us, confess those times to your Lord right now. I want to give you a moment to do that. Our Father, we, we just confess to you this morning that uh, there's a feeling of scarcity in our hearts often. And it's not a pleasant feeling, God. Lord, I pray that your, your Holy Spirit would come and comfort us in the only way that, that, that we can ever know comfort. By applying the words of Jesus to our hearts and giving us faith to believe that they're true.
You alone have the words of life. Where else can we go? Lord, give us faith to believe that we can't live by bread alone. That the bread that you seek to give us is the life of Jesus. Lord, I pray this morning for those in here that are not yet followers of you, uh, that they would be confronted by the gospel in a way uh, that would be confrontational in their hearts. But it would be so inviting because they see that there's a different way to live. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that are struggling this morning as they look at their physical lives, whether it be health or whether it be wealth, God, and they struggle and they don't have enough and they look at the jar and they don't know how it's going to work out. God, would you show them that you can even use a raven to provide? That you care for us so much, that you love us so much, that you're in control of everything. God, would you give us faith to believe that? This morning, it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.